Hello again, it's great to be with you as we're together, opening God's word together and singing his great praises and praying to his great name. Uh, let me encourage you to have your Bibles open um, and let's pray that God work powerfully by his spirit in us here today. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. Father, help us to come with humble hearts. And we pray that you will do a miraculous work in us today. Make us more like your son. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Advertising is so full of big promises, aren't they? I'm going to give you some of the promises uh, that advertisers give and see if you can work out what brand they're connected to. Here's the first one. Lowest prices are just the beginning. Bit of an easy one to start with. I hope you got it. It's Bunnings. And it's what so many advertisers promise, isn't it? Lowest prices. Here's another. More than money. Who says that? It's National Australia Bank. It's an interesting thing for a bank to promise when you think about it, isn't it? More than money. Here's another. The best or nothing. Who's that? It's Mercedes. It's, it's a huge claim, isn't it? The best. And I always thought it was Ferrari, but there you go. But I have to say, there's nothing quite like the promises of shampoo advertising. Here's a few of them. No more tears. Johnson's baby shampoo, a very famous one. Uh, certainly didn't work on my kids, though. When they started crying and I washed their hair, that certainly didn't stop them crying for me. Here's another. Stronger hair, stronger you. Ascania fructus. I mean, I could do with that. I think that's the shampoo for me. Uh, but this one, I think, takes the cake. Be everyone you are. That's Herbal Essences line. Like, what exactly does that mean? I mean, how many people am I anyway? Be everyone you are, it says. I mean, what happens if I don't want to be more than one person? I don't think that's a shampoo for me. Big promises. Jesus makes bigger promises than that. He promises in John's Gospel to be the resurrection and the life, to bring eternal life. He promises to be able to give life to the full. And it's this promise of true life, of life to the full, that we see in the passage that we're looking at today. Have a look at John 15, John 15, verse 11. He says this, I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Life to the full, complete joy. They're massive things to promise. Jesus is essentially saying that without him, our joy will be incomplete, transient, shallow. And so is he good for his promise? And what exactly does complete joy look like? That's what we'll be looking at today as we make our way through this passage in John 15, verses 1 to 17. What does it mean to find true joy in Jesus? And what we'll see is that it's linked to something we would not normally connect joy with, and that is obedience. But before we get there, we need to make our way through a vineyard and see what Jesus means when he says, I am the true vine. Because it's in this extended picture or metaphor that we see the promise of true, lasting, complete joy. So firstly, Jesus the true vine. This image of the vine that Jesus uses comes straight out of the Old Testament. It's a, it's a picture that the poets and the prophets used of the Old Testament used to speak about God's people, Israel. Here's one such passage. 
Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. It's not a pleasant sort of a song, is it, or a ditty? Israel is this vine that is empty of fruit that is not righteous, and as a result is worthless in God's sight, judged, burnt, because of their disobedience and their lack of love of God. But Jesus says he's the true vine. He is what Israel failed to be. And in Jesus, those who follow him become also what Israel again and again failed to be, God's precious fruit-filled vines and branches. And Jesus makes two big points from this vine picture, this vine image. The first is about how it is that we can bear fruit by being connected to Jesus. And the second is a warning. So firstly, remaining in Jesus, bearing fruit. Have a look at verse 5 of John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the vine that bears fruit to the glory of God. And the way that he does that is through those who trust in him, who remain in Jesus. And the fruit that we bear is the fruit that Jesus produces produces, sorry, through us. Take this plant as an example. A wonderful camellia bush in our backyard. Its branches are all connected to the main stem. That's sitting in the soil, the trunk of the plant. Like the branches connected to a vine. The trunk, the vine, is the source of life. And while branches are connected to that trunk, it will produce fruit or flowers or green leaves, whatever God designed that plant to produce. But what is the fruit that we produce being connected to Jesus, the true vine? And how is it produced? Is the fruit the fruit of more branches, of of people who, through our words, put their trust in Jesus? Well, yeah, in part, but that's not really what this passage really spends its time on. That's not the focus of this chapter. The focus of this chapter is on the fruit of obedience, the fruit of a changed life, and in particular, the fruit of love of one another. Have a look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. The fruit is the fruit of obedience. And in this, these verses, the relationship between the Father and the Son is the model of how we are to relate with Jesus. And that's a model of love and obedience. The Father loves the Son. How does the Son love the Father? By obeying his commands. By doing all that the Father has given him to do. Jesus obeys his Father in everything 
That's how Jesus loves his Father. So once again, like chapter 14, we see the connection between love and obedience. And so the fruit that we are to produce is the fruit of obedience. In particular, verse 12, the obedience to the command to love one another. My command is this, says Jesus in verse 12, love each other as I have loved you. This is a command Jesus has already given to his disciples in chapter 13, and he repeats it here. So we need to dig into this command a bit more. What does it mean to love each other as Jesus has loved us? Well, when Jesus came and lived and died, his life and death redefined what love actually meant. It's in the love of Jesus for us, particularly at the cross, that this command to love becomes a new command, as Jesus said in chapter 13. So how did Jesus love us? Well, verse 13 of chapter 15 suggests that ultimately it's in his death. But even his death is the culmination of his love for his disciples and for us shown in his life. He's not been a king, a messiah, who would lord it over his subjects. He loves his subjects. He sacrifices himself, his own comfort, his own glory, his own position for the good of those he loves. And we need to love others in a way that reflects the way that Jesus has loved us at the cross. So how do we love like he loved us at the cross? Here's two ways. Firstly, Jesus took the initiative. True love takes initiative. Jesus didn't wait for his disciples to love him before he loved them back. He died for them despite the fact that they deserted him and denied him and abandoned him. So our love should take the initiative. He didn't wait for us to love him before he loved us. It was while we were enemies that he died for us. We should not wait for the other person to come around to our point of view before we decide to love them. Don't just love those who love you. No, take the initiative to love others who don't at first love you because that's what Jesus did for us. So that's the first way. Second way, Jesus loved self-sacrificially. He did this not only in his death, but in his life. He sacrificed his own glory to come as a man. He stooped so low as to wash his disciples' feet. He was patient with the disciples despite the lack of understanding. Jesus, every day of his life and ministry on earth, gave himself up for those who were around him. And that was culminated at the cross where he gave his life for us, sacrificially. Is that the way that we love? Or do we only love when it suits our own purposes? Do we give ourselves to each other here at OEC in such a way that it is a sacrifice? Are there other ways that, there are other ways that are, that we are to love others as Jesus has loved us to pattern our love on his love for us, particularly at the cross. And so his patience, his compassion, his forgiveness, his love shaped by the truth, his kindness, all expressed fully at the cross. Always we should love others who, um, as we have been loved ourselves. This pattern of obedience and love needs to be our pattern of obedience and love as well. But how is this fruit of obedience brought about? How do we foster this fruit? Verse 5, have a look at it. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
this fruit will be produced as we remain connected to Jesus. And this happens, as we saw last week, through the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. But, but how do we do it? It doesn't just happen out of the blue. Verse 7 is key, as we see that staying in him and bearing fruit is all about the word of God and prayer. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And so we remain in him by ensuring that his words remain in us. And what does it look like to have the words of Jesus abiding in us, working in us, bearing fruit in our life? Well, it looks like listening. And loving the words of Jesus, it'll mean reading his words, hearing them spoken by others, hearing them preached, discussing them, that word with others as well, in small groups or with one-on-one. The word of Jesus and the work of the Spirit is is like a powder keg, like a bomb going off in our life to produce the fruit of obedience. So, okay, I'm mixing the metaphors here now, but you get the point. The words of Jesus remaining in us, though, is more than just hearing them studying them, discussing them. It's also about doing the hard work of obeying them. If we let the words of Jesus abide in us, remain in us, it'll change the way that we think about everything. It'll change the way that we think about God and who he is. As we hear his words, as we listen to them, as we understand them, we get to know God himself in person, deeply. Truly, And that word should change the way that we think about our world and the things that this world offers. We will see this world as the dark and lost and broken place that it is in the sight of God. And the things that this world offers is empty of any true meaning and hope. It'll change the way that we also think about ourselves and about our friends and about our work or about our study and about our leisure, about our singleness, about our marriage, about our friendships, about our fun. It'll change everything. We will change to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. And that change in thinking will bring about a changed life. But having said that, it's not an easy process. It's actually painful, but still a powerfully miraculous one. Go back, have a look at verse 2 of chapter 15. Every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So he prunes the fruitful vines so that they will produce more fruit. What is Jesus talking about there? It's the work, God's work of ongoing change in us through times of hardship, through trial, through persecution, through our repentance of sin, to bring about the change of holiness in our lives as we trust in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews puts it in this way. Endure hardship as discipline, he says. God is treating you as children. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, that's true, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It is a hard work as God gets the secateurs out onto our life to change us. But as we work with him, as we put off sin, as we clothe ourselves with righteousness, we're being made holy to the glory of God the Father. But this powder keg for change of the word of God and the spirit of God doesn't just stop there. 
When you combine it with prayer, verse 7, you get the triple whammy effect for lasting change. The powerful and miraculous fruit of a changed life. Prayer is vital if we are to live fruitful lives in obedience to God our Saviour. Loving one another as he has loved us. Jesus promises, verse 7 and verse 16, that he will give his disciples whatever they ask for in his name. What are we asking for, for things in Jesus' name? Well, what is it that Jesus would most desire? What is it that would bring his Father's glory? Well, it's this, that we would bear much fruit. So we need to pray that we would bear fruit. The fruit of obedience to Jesus, the fruit of love, one for another. And we can pray this in confidence that God will do that work and answer that prayer. How often do you pray that you would bear fruit, that God would instill in you a love for others? How often do you pray that God would help you to love with initiative and self-sacrifice with the aim of helping each other become more like our Saviour? That's a great prayer in Jesus' name, isn't it? That's how Jesus produces the fruit that brings glory to the Father, through the power of prayer, through the work of his word, through the Spirit. But there's a second side to this vine metaphor, and that's the warning of the vine, that if we don't bear fruit, he will cut us off. Verse 1, I am the true vine, the Father is the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears fruit. No fruit. Verse 6, he says it again. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. It's a dire warning, isn't it? Remain in Jesus, bear fruit. Because if you don't, if you don't bear fruit, if you don't remain in him, then God the gardener will treat you in the same way he treated Israel, who bore no fruit. You'll be rejected by him, judged cut off the vine, removed, no longer a part of the vine, no longer a part of his kingdom. This stalk here can't produce a flower. I cut it off the plant, the camellia bush, and when I did that, it dashed any hopes it had of bearing any flowers. Apart from being attached to the trunk, it can't bear anything. This passage speaks about the vine dresser lopping off branches which don't bear fruit and then throwing them into the fire. This is saying that we need to be connected to Jesus. And if we are connected to Jesus but don't bear fruit, that's just, that's just wrong. It doesn't work. It, what that shows is that the life that is found in Jesus isn't making its way into the branch. The fruit of loving obedience is the mark of true Christianity. If we don't obey Jesus, if we do not do what he says, we show we don't love Jesus. We show we don't really believe. And we'll be rejected by God. Yes, we're saved by grace, by the work of Jesus on the cross. Our works don't earn us salvation, don't win us relationship with God. Our relationship with God is all of his grace. Through the death of Jesus on our behalf, we come empty-handed and he gives us the gift of eternal life. But if we say to Jesus, we don't trust you, we don't want to obey your word, we show we don't love him at all. We show we don't trust him at all. Such empty faith is actually not faith. And if that's the way we treat the one who saved us, 
then he will reject us. You see this so clearly in verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If we don't bear fruit, the fruit of obedience, then we show that we're not disciples of Jesus. So, are you changing? Are you bearing fruit? Have you examined your Christian life, which is actually all of your life? Can people tell that you trust in Jesus? Are you really any different to to those who don't trust in Jesus? In particular, do you obey the command to love? To love as Jesus loved? Do you show the evidence, the, the proof of being a disciple of Jesus? If you examine yourself and you think, yeah, I don't know if that fruit is there, then heed the warning. Apologise. Say sorry to Jesus. Accept his offer of forgiveness. Pray in the name of Jesus that he would change your life. And believe me, he loves answering that prayer. But we still haven't hit the big promise of this passage, have we? The promise of complete joy. Have a look again at verse 10. If you obey my commands, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He promises true joy. What a great promise. And as I said at the start, what Jesus is saying here is that apart from him, you can't have complete joy. You can have joy, yes, but only in part, only incomplete. That doesn't last. That can't weather the storms of life, let alone the storm of death. Joy is different to happiness. Happiness is is fleeting and dependent on experiencing things that make us smile. Joy is deeper and greater, grounded in truths that the struggles and, and disappointments and frustrations of life can't take away. Everything could be turned upside down, but true joy can't be removed. Even the power of death can't shake the sort of joy that Jesus is promising in these words. And it's not an empty promise. He promises, he makes this promise as the one who four days later will rise out of the grave. Shampoo companies, they can promise no more tears as much as they like or a stronger you. But they can't promise true and lasting joy that will continue even if your hair falls out. And what is the source of this joy? It is being who we were created to be, loved by God and lovers of him. The true joy of obedience to the Father and to the Son. The true and lasting joy of friendship, relationship with God, bringing glory to the Father through changed lives, through the power of the Word and the Spirit, answered prayers in the name of Jesus Christ. The joy of being servants of our Heavenly Master, yet being being even more than servants, being called friends. Yes, friends of God. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learnt from my father, I have made known to you. Joy and obedience. We don't normally connect those two. We think joy is about being free to be who we want to be. 
But that doesn't bring true joy. For creatures made in the image of God, made to be friends with God, made to be servants of God, that so-called path of individual freedom is actually the path of shallow and fragile joy. True joy is found in embracing who we are, servants, friends of God, made to bring glory to him, to obey him and accept his love that he's given to us, made for eternal joy that can't be broken in death. Will you embrace this path to true joy, accepting the love of God in Christ, responding in trust and obedience, listening to, loving and obeying the words of Jesus, letting them change the way we think about everything, loving others as he has loved us, bringing glory to the Father. Will you embrace that path to true joy? Or have you traded that true joy for the plastic imitation that the world offers? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of your son. Father, help us to remain in Jesus. Help us to listen to his word. Help us to obey your word. Do that miraculous work by your spirit. We pray, in the Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name that you will change us. Help us to love others as you have loved us, with initiative, self-sacrifice, compassion, patience, care, kindness. Do that great work in us, producing us such great fruit to the glory and praise of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.